that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It is the Tuesday edition. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and 80 of our closest friends here in the live Zoom with our Ohio State tech subscribers. Longtime tech subscribers, maybe new tech subscribers. Welcome to everyone who's here. Welcome to everyone who's listening. You were, uh, some of you were drunk. I'll just say it. You were either drunk on excitement or drunk on something else immediately after the game on Friday night. And completely understandable, completely reasonable reaction when your team does what it did. But we didn't really get a chance for everyone to sort of celebrate and take it all in together. And so that's what we're doing on this Tuesday Buckeye Talk. We're talking about where that Clemson win fits because I do want to give sort of proper acknowledgement to a victory like that before we move on to Alabama. I mean, again, this is ridiculous, huge back-to-back games. But, Stephen, the idea that we are doing this, we did it in the post-game pod. Then we came back and we had some texture reactions on the next pod. But, but I think it's good to just, like, let's not rush past this monumental thing that this team had targeted and then accomplished. I mean, we got to let everybody kind of, you know, do a little uh, Mardi Gras kind of thing here, right? Yeah, yeah, I think people should celebrate that I was right and you two were wrong. That is, this is the Stephen Means genius Zoom, live Zoom. And I hope Stephen's family is in here. Stephen's family, I hope, <laughs> is here to celebrate his correct pick. Uh, but Nathan, right, is it not appropriate for us to be uh, allowing our Zoomers to do this? I was, I was really distracted thinking about how many beads you could pick up on an average night in Mardi Gras. Um, and yeah, I think this is perfect. I mean, last year we did it after the Clemson game, um, but more of a, a funeral, right? It, was, it wasn't immediately after. We gave some time and then we let people kind of really put that event and that season to rest and pay, pay their respects and, and grieve a little bit. And there was finality to that. Here, I, I feel like it would be inappropriate a little bit to just like breeze past that game go right into this next game and, and not really acknowledge what I'm sure was a pretty incredible experience for a, a lot of people. Um, Cause we know how invested people are. Cause that's why you're here tonight. And that's why we're here uh, eight days a week. So uh, I, I definitely am all in for, for hearing how people felt about this game. So we want to put it in context. I made a list and I sent it out to texters of the greatest wins of the two thousands uh, last 20 years. There's a lot of really good candidates. I mean, it kind of was fun to think about. It's like, oh, I sent like seven games, I think, in the running to be the best win of the last 20 years. And then somebody was like, well, what about this game? And it's like, what about this game? It's like, you really could go 10 deep. And I will. I'm going to rank mine in a post on Cleveland.com. But we want people to talk about where this Clemson game ranks. And then we want to talk about, and I'll say, I, th- there's a guy named Ben Koo who runs the awful announcing website. He's He's a sports media guy. Really smart guy, Ohio State alum, Ohio State fan. He's been on Buckeye Talk in the past. And he had tweeted this out last week, and I realized it's where I I sort of got the thing in my head about he had tweeted that the Ohio State fan base can be sort of a national title or bust kind of fan base, but that with this game, and he tweeted it before the Clemson game, like with this, it's like, man, if Ohio State can beat Clemson, that would be such a great thing to get that first win against Clemson. And then really, I mean, like, how mad would anybody be if, if an Alabama win doesn't follow it, you know, and, and that maybe this was a slight shift in the mindset just because 
of how big a deal it was to beat this Clemson team. And so that's where I wanted to go with this next set of questions. I sent it out in a poll. We'll have the people in the Zoom join us and give their thoughts on that. So I do like putting greatness in context, and that's what we're going to try to do. But guess what? We'll go to uh, Adam, wants to kick us off, has some thoughts. Adam, you should be able to unmute yourself and go ahead. Uh, yes, I wanted to know, do you guys think there's anything to um, Clemson's defense kind of looking lost since we were running huddles and Ryan Day uh, brought up the fact that Clemson's known for stealing signs or the signals? So, Nathan, we were talking about that. We were texting about that during the game. I don't know that we ever ended up writing much about it, but what was your view on sort of how that worked itself out? Yeah, I threw a little thing in at the end of my observations the other day, just just mentioning that Fields had, had brought that up. But I, I didn't have time to go back and do what we love to do, like a forensic, you know, here's here's what Clemson looks like in an average game. Here's what Ohio State looks like in an average game. And here's what they look like in that game. But it did seem like they were they were definitely, you know, waiting till about, I don't know, about 15 seconds left a lot of times where they were signaling in plays. There were definitely multiple plays where they ran up to the line and caught Clemson off guard. So there, there definitely were some, some, some strategy that was going into that on Ohio State's side. Uh, and I think it probably had an effect. I don't think you can blame all 49 points on that, though. I think a lot of it was just Ohio State's offensive line coming out and, and dominating that game and, and setting a tone. And then just Justin Fields and, and the way he played. But there were at least three or four plays where Clemson wasn't lined up. Correct. And, yeah. and, and Ohio state. And I just, again, Steven and Nathan were there. I'm in my basement with my chilies. I noticed on the, just watching on TV, that was not how Ohio state normally approached the line of scrimmage and got signals and did things that they clearly adjusted what they normally did. They were waiting and then they were getting the signal and going. They weren't getting a signal, maybe getting to the line, then looking around. They weren't just going tempo, tempo, tempo. I mean, they they were it was, they changed what they did, undoubtedly. And as a result, Clemson seemingly was not able to do what it normally did. So as soon as Ryan Day plants the seed, however many days before, where he mentions the fact that Clemson always seems to know what you're going to do. Nathan wrote it. A lot of people made note of that. A lot of stories before the game about Clemson's reputation for stealing signs. And then the thing that sort of everybody said is like, okay, well, you can bring it up, but if you don't like it, do something about it. And they did something about it. And I don't know exactly what it's going to mean. It's not the first time somebody scored points on Clemson, but I have had this rattling around in my head. If you think Ryan Day broke Don Brown, that in 2018, if Michigan had the number one defense in the country, Michigan's favorite in that game, and the Ryan Day offense dropped 60, 62 on Michigan, and it is the beginning of the end of Don Brown as a defensive genius. I don't know, did Ryan Day just break Brent Venables? And I'm not saying that he did, but I'm asking – like Steven, like uh, we don't know, but there is something to the idea of uh, often a defensive coordinator. Yeah, you are smart and you make adjustments and you recruit great stuff, but you also, you sort of have a thing you do. And Ohio State figured out sort of that Don Brown man-to-man defense and then it was never quite the same. I don't know where this is headed for Clemson, but if that was, it, I, I, maybe that was some kind of blueprint. So, okay, I mean, everybody's talking about they steal signs and it helps them win. And then Ohio State did this. Steven, I don't know, did he crack him? 
maybe they can glue it back together. But did he fall off the end table? And now you're getting out the crazy glue to glue to try to put this defensive coordinator back together again? No, because I think part of breaking Don Brown is everybody else can do it too. It's just if you've got enough speed at wide receiver, they're going to play man all day. I'm just going to run crossing routes and we're just going to outrun you. With this one, it's a little bit more complicated than that. It's some good play calls. It's having multiple weapons at different positions. Like I, I think the league t- TD, that, that works because you've got a, a tight end who can also catch and make plays with on his own. He's not just a blocking tight end. And then you also have – Garrett and Chris and, and Jamison doing what they do as well. There was multiple things you have to think about and you're already being late getting your own calls. And there's multiple things that have to go right to, I think, break what Venables is doing. And it's only maybe two or three teams who are, who have enough weapons to do it right now. Uh, Link to the tight Denver end also the... works every time, every time, by the way, Ryan in Denver and, and Joseph in Atlanta are making some good points about the fact that LSU put up a bunch of points against Clemson last year too. And no one was really talking about it being because of thwarting the sign stealing thing. It was really just because that offense was that great. And I think, I still think that that was what that came down to for Ohio state too, that the execution was just at such a high level. But the, the question that I want to ask is um, not so much as to what does this mean the next time someone plays Clemson to me, it's like Ohio state went out and had that much success just like unparalleled offensive success doing that approach against Clemson. So shouldn't they take the same thing into the Alabama game? Like, why would you change anything? Shouldn't they take the same kind of huddle approach and, and, and everything like what, what's the argument for not doing that again? Cause you're not worried about Bama stealing your signs. Yeah. But, but, you but it, that, I mean, I don't think that that helped Ohio state necessarily. I don't know that that's what ide- ideally Ohio state wants to do from a standpoint of like getting their, offense set and getting their play in. I think it's what they felt like they had to do because they were reacting to Clemson, what Clemson did. I don't know. I mean, they, they never did it before. I don't think that that to me was a direct answer to Clemson steel signs. So we're not going to give them a chance to do that. Um, but I don't know that that, but I feel like that was a big part of it. I don't know that, that you have to carry that part over to Bama though. You know what I'm saying? I, I see what you're saying, but I'm also, you know, again, I know there were special circumstances with the Northwestern game, but the comparison between that and Clemson, I don't know. I would just uh, coaches, coaches sometimes, as, as Trevor from Idaho says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think coaches sometimes will say, hey, like, why would we I, that worked so well? That worked as well as Ohio State could possibly have worked on offense in that game. So I know it's a different opponent. I know that it's a different um, concept as far as whether they would be stealing signs and Clemson does. But I mean, it you can't say that it didn't, it, it didn't hold them back in any way. In fact, I wonder if it even was something that kind of um, invigorated them a little bit. I don't know if the other way held them back either. It was just the decision-making more than it was because they decided they were going to huddle one game. And they didn't the other game. Right, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I wonder if like just that, if that was sort of a catalyst for them that, you know, this is like one other thing that we're doing. This is a strategy. It gives us some kind of edge. I, I don't know. It just, it just, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they came out and did the same thing against Alabama. All right, let's go to Brad. Brad has a hand up. You're unmuted. Go ahead. Brad, go ahead if you're okay. Can't hear you, Brad. Uh, We'll try to come back to you. We'll try to come back to you. So let's get to the poll. And, and I want to start off the top of trying to rank this. And this is where I would love people to chime in on this. I would love people to chime in on this because this is the question I asked. What is the best Ohio State win of the 2000s? 
And these were the choices that I gave the texters in the survey. There is, and again, there were seven, seven that I gave. One is the 2002 national championship win over Miami. The next one is the 2006 Michigan game, number one versus number two. Next is 2014 Alabama game in the semifinal. I didn't say the Oregon game in the national championship game, and people can mention that, but to me, it's like the Alabama game stands out so much. I don't know what anyone picked the Oregon game over the Alabama game. And also people mentioned the Michigan state game in 2014, JT Barrett's best game as a Buckeye. It's the revenge game from 2013. It was a fantastic performance The Devin Smith catching the sideline. But again, would anyone thinking about 2014 pick that ahead of the Bama game? So I only did one per season. So that's why I didn't put those other one on the other ones on there. 2016. It's the two versus three game against Michigan, the double OT Curtis Samuel game. Uh, 2017, the Penn State miraculous comeback with JT Barrett in the fourth quarter. The 2018 game, Michigan is favored, number one defense in the country. Ohio State's coming off nearly losing to Maryland, and Ohio State drops 60 on Michigan and wins that game. And then the Clemson playoff semifinal. So those were the seven options that I gave people. There was also an other. So, listen, we are not necessarily experts on this. I did not cover the Miami national championship game. So we can give our opinions on this, but I'm much more interested in your opinions on this. So if anybody has them, get up your hands and we'll try to, uh, we'll try to include some of that now, but just like Nathan, knowing that you are new to the beat, you weren't around in 2002. I mean, even you, you're not that old 2002. You were in like ninth grade. Two, I was 34. No, you wow, you guys are old. <laughs> That's incorrect. I was 20. You're not 52. I was 24. <laughs> My God, you don't even well, know you how get old this you age are. And, you get this age and math doesn't really. I was a second grader. Okay. So, um, so but I was an adult. I could like rent a car. I could do okay. things. You were an adult. Do you have an opinion on which game you think won this, this vote? Or would you rather pass and let our, our Zoomers talk? Um, I, I want to hear what they say, but I find it very interesting. There's already some comments over here about like, man, it was really hard to pick between this year, Clemson and, and, and 2014 Alabama, which are not national championships. They're still, those are semifinal victories, which I think is, is interesting. I would probably, I would assume maybe it's the Alabama win. Uh, Nate, uh, Steven, do you have an opinion either way on this? 2002. It'd been 32 years since they won a national championship. Yep. And I mean, 34. the way that game played 34. out. 34. Yeah, 34 years since they won a national championship. And just the way that game played out, I mean, some of these other ones are great, but not all of them ended up in a national championship being won. This one kind of set the tone for that, especially for the Jim Trestle era. All right, Scott M., you're up first. Where, where would you vote on this? I would absolutely have to go with 2002. Uh, 34 years. Uh, it was an uh, absolutely unbelievable game. Uh, of course, we had all the fallout from the flag, um, uh, Chris Gamble, and, uh, this and that. But uh, that was a wonderful game to watch. Is there? Did this Clemson game come close, in your opinion, or does that Miami game stand alone? No, uh, that was pure joy Friday night. Uh, I I kept wanting them to score more, um, but uh, yeah, no, I I thought Friday was amazing, uh, and. Yesterday, I started thinking, oh, crap, we have to play Bama now. So, I don't know, you know. <laughs> and that's why it can't be number one. 
yeah. that exact reason right there. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, that was fun, but we have to do it again. With a championship game, it's it's over. We can we can finally relax and brag for the next six months. I don't know if I necessarily agree that a championship game has to be ahead of a non-championship game, but I do know what you're saying, Stephen, obviously, that it's like you don't have to think about anything anymore. Joey, you're up. How would you vote on this? I voted for the Wisconsin 2014 game when they won 59-0. I think that just set the stage for the what was to come, and that was – catapulting them from six to four. It was just an incredible game to watch. I've never seen Ohio State dominate on both sides like that for a full 60 minutes. You know, and that is, and that was not one that I put out there, but that was, that was the dividing line, right? That going into that game, it's like, well, can Cardale get it done? Oh, are they even going to get in? And then that was the springboard, both literally in, in, in the idea of it was such a good win, it got them in the playoff, but then also sort of like figuratively and like, okay, it made you believe like, man, these guys are pretty good. That Joey, is that sort of how you're thinking about it? That as, as great as the Bama win was, it was 59 nothing against Wisconsin that even made that possible. Yeah, for me, I just remember the first time Cardale dropped back and threw that first pass to Devin Smith, and I knew in that moment that this team was going to win the national championship. I just felt it, and I just felt like that game really set the tone for the whole playoff, like you were saying. That was the game that really needed to get them the momentum to be able to beat Alabama and then be, to be able to beat Oregon. Um, and how I compare that to this year is I think if we beat Alabama, people are going to look up, look at this Clemson game kind of the same way where this Clemson game really set the stage and gave that team the confidence to go and compete with this Alabama team that a week ago they were favored against Ohio State by like 14 or 16, I think. And I think this Clemson win kind of like that, that Wisconsin win is going to set the tone for what's to come. Yeah, tone setters are very smart picks here. That is kind of like the the game before the game that made it possible is is a very interesting way to look at it. Jeff, you're unmuted. What do you got here? Yeah, I, I agreed with Joey. I, my answer for the poll was 2002 in terms of best win, just because of the sheer level of talent that they beat in that Miami team. But in terms of like seared into my brain, most memorable game, I'm right there in the Wisconsin 59-0 game. I'm going into that game. I was questions about Cardale. Can he get it done? He's never started a game. What is this team really? Uh, Wisconsin comes in as a, as a slight favorite. Melvin Gordon's just been beating the world down. He's already got 2000 yards, uh, 2200 yards by the time they get to that game. Um, uh, Wisconsin's got the number two defense in the country. And then just seeing them absolutely dominate. It's like my jaw was hanging in my lap for the entire string of that game. And I was like, I didn't know Ohio State could do this. Cardale throwing bomb after bomb to Devin and Zeke with an 80-yard touchdown run. is just it, it was the start of what felt like a new era in Ohio State football that we're that we're seeing now. You know, it's a real I, part of it to me in this Nathan, what do you think about this when we're thinking about great games like this? Is it more interesting does it like if it's a closer game like Miami 2002? right? Or, or something that comes down to the wire, Michigan double OT. Does that make it better? Or the idea that like, Hey, like it's a blowout that tells you something about your team. Can that be just as great or even greater? Because I think maybe I lean towards like, well, if it's close, it's more interesting, but that's not how everybody sees it. I think it's close. If it's, 
if it's close, it's more interesting to the average fan. There are people around the country who might remember the Ohio State Miami game as like a classic, incredible game just on its own merits. But as far as the importance to a fan, I think the the shellacking can have just as much or, or sometimes more importance because, again, you, you are making a statement. You're going out and and kind of emphatic. I mean, that was an emphatic statement that Ohio State made the other night. I mean, it was a very Clemson specific statement in a lot of ways because they were a lot of emotion and a lot of turmoil a lot of, of tears and everything went into that game from a lot of guys who just had personal stakes in that game. So a lot of that got unleashed by about that one specific opponent. Um, it's different than if you blow out Oregon or, or whatever. But I, I think that because of that, I think that might carry forward, that it's not just that they finally beat Clemson. It's that they beat Clemson so bad that like you could celebrate for the entire fourth quarter because that game was over. MAJ, you're up next. Go ahead and unmute. Hey, hey, Doug and team, uh, totally agree with the comments about transitional games, but I think that that undermines the Penn State 2017 game just because the the Iowa game followed that, and that that's such a bad memory. I, I would say that the Clemson game this year to me rivals the 2018 Michigan game where Ohio State came in looked really bad. Oh, they're an underdog, and then just blew the doors off them. Yeah, I will say I do think this, and I get this vibe from a lot of people. It does help make it great if people thought your team wasn't going to win going in. So the doubt about the Wisconsin game, the doubt about the Michigan game in 2018, the doubt about this Clemson, I guess like almost every game on this list is like people didn't think Ohio State was going to win. It's like the Alabama game, the Miami game, the Clemson game. Like Steven, that, that's a part of it too, that it's not, whether it's close or it's a blowout, the idea that you as a fan had a knot in your stomach and that you felt like nobody was picking your team and then they won. There are some places where, listen, I mean, let's be honest here. There are some places where when a team is getting picked against, it's because they're not going to win and like they never win. And so there's not a lot of games like this for the, for some programs where it's like, remember that time nobody believed in us and then we won? It's like, no. Remember the time that nobody believed in us and then there was no reason to believe in us? There's actually quite a list of Ohio State games. And as we know, I think it's eight and one as underdogs in the Urban and Ryan era that it gives you a lot of chances here, Stephen. But is that important, Stephen, you think, that when you're thinking about great games, it helps if the team was the underdog? Yeah, especially for this fan base, they love to go, oh, yeah, well, I'll show you. And then, you know, they show you with 59 to nothing wins and 49 to 28 wins. I think I, I think the two most important games here are either blowouts or it's got to be really close because it's either you remember it because it almost gave you a heart attack or you remember it because it showed you where you stood in the landscape of college football. And that's what a 59 to nothing win and what that meant going forward with that program from 2014. And then this year, 49 to 28 and – but that it validated that, yeah, you are a top three team. It's not a question anymore. You're one of the three best programs in the country. You're not, you may be not a, a step below where Clemson and Alabama are, are. You're right with them. And then 2002, it was kind of like the jump starter of where Ohio State football is now. Alan, with the great background. Good to see you, Alan. Go ahead. Hi, Doug. Uh, I was just going to chime in and basically echo what some of the others have already said at this point now, but uh, I was at the O2 game, so I am a little partial to that one, obviously. Um, but it, that was a significant win in the scheme of everything. Just kind of put them back on the map, put them on the national perspective. 
that Miami team, you look at the roster on there, they were so loaded with NFL talent um, and nobody gave them a chance. And they just kind of came out of nowhere all year long and, and just, you know, did went about their business and finished it off. And, and that is, I think, part of the catalyst to where we're at now that got Ohio State on the map, got some recruiting going, and here we are today. And also, I think you have to have a national championship to make it the most meaningful. But that's my opinion. I think, Alan, um, that's a good point. And let's get to the actual voting here. And we'll let people know what the texter voting was. And it surprised me a little bit. Number one was the Miami National Championship game. That did win the voting with 36%. Said that was the best Ohio State win of the 2000s. Second was the Alabama semifinal in 2014, 35%. So it's right behind it. 36 to 35, and those two were far and away the leader in this vote. Third place, the Clemson game, what just happened, 17%. And then a big drop. Number four was 4% for the Michigan 2006 one versus two game. Then 3% for the Michigan 2016 double overtime Curtis Samuel game. 2% 2% for the Michigan 2018 game when Ohio State dropped 60 when they were the underdogs, and then 1% for the JT Barrett-Penn State comeback, and then also 3% for other, which that Wisconsin game, for instance, that I should have put in there. It was a mistake by me to not include that. But I wasn't thinking about it the way some of you were thinking about it, which has affected how I'll do my ranking. But I, I'm a little surprised, and, and we'll keep going to people here. There is a part of me that when you think about the 2002 national championship game, that it was a 34 year drought, that it was the end of a miraculous season. It was the culmination of something that it was the actual game itself. The way it played out is as close and as tight and as memorable and as crazy as you could have. And that you knocked off a powerhouse to sort of lift up Ohio state, as Alan said, in the hierarchy of college football, there's a part of me that thinks like, how could you almost any team in any sport ever have a better win than that? And I got a couple of texters who sent that earlier and sort of said, listen, man, like if you're not voting for that, maybe like it's because, you know, maybe you weren't there and you were at a different game or maybe you're younger. Nathan, there are really good answers here. And I, I absolutely there are arguments for the other ones for Clemson or Alabama or a Michigan game. If you want to say, "Miss, listen, man, a great Michigan win is better than anything else. And the buildup, I didn't cover 0-2, but covering the 2006 Michigan game, one versus two, my gosh. I mean, how could you have a greater buildup to, a, to an Ohio State game than you had for that? The game was really good. The game wasn't quite as good as the buildup because, again, my gosh, you, you couldn't script it, but to have Bo Schembechler pass away that week, to add to everything – um, is just unbelievable. But part of me, Nathan, is just like, I, I just think the Miami game could like be the answer to this question for the next hundred years, the greatest game in Ohio State history. I think you can go back to the Michigan game in 68 and other things. But you know what I mean, Nathan? It just, it had so many components. I think 2002 makes sense because it separates 
what was it, it separates a, the the modern era, right? Like that, I feel like that starts the era of Ohio State football that we live in now. Because the the era of Ohio State football that came before that, I wasn't an Ohio State fan, but I was in the Big Ten footprint growing up, and I remember that Ohio State being really good and being like this this program with like some history and some great players in its day and people talked about it but like not the way they do now I mean that that was a separating line that was kind of an inflection point in Ohio State football history that winning that national championship I think elevated them to a different level of the conversation and because before that I don't think they really had the same there was respect I don't know if there was mystique now I feel like there's mystique and I think it started with that championship I think this season might be the only thing that can pass it. And it's because it's got similar elements to it. You know, early in the new coach's career here at Ohio state, um, they're an underdog. And the difference is it's two powerhouses that they have to go through instead of just Miami. It's we beat Clemson and now we have to go play the big dog in Alabama. If they win those two games, it's two to one. And I think that might given obviously, and then all the other stuff, you know, the COVID and six games and Dabo breaking them, all this other stuff. I think this might be the only situation that can pass Miami because of those reasons. I don't know that the individual game, I don't know that either individual game would pass the individual Miami game, but we do have a question later on about the season as a whole that we will get to, but first let's go to Brad, go ahead and unmute Brad. You are up next. So I think the 2002 game really kind of put Ohio State back on the map. I We're debating the chat whether it was a 34 or 32-year drought. Because Ohio State has a national championship claimed in 1970. I don't Not count sure that about one. that. I don't, I don't count. Okay. I apologize. But, yeah. It's sick. But they, have, they, they have the two iffy ones. The two iffy yeah. ones in 61 and 70. But either way, good point. Good point taken, Brad. Then you have the SEC monkey where you lose the Florida and LSU back-to-back years in blowout fashion. In 2014, you go on that magical run. You beat Wisconsin. Then you beat Alabama, the king of the SEC. I think that kind of put Ohio State back on the map, kind of really validated them as a national power. One other small thought. I think what will really validate this Clemson win is if we can get a win over Bama in the title game. I do think you you brought up a point there. And again, it's like there are too many options for Ohio State. J, poor JT Barrett leads what was it, a 21-point fourth quarter comeback, 28-point fourth quarter comeback against the number two key team in the country in Penn State. He gets 1%. You realize how many places, if you said, what's your best win in the last 20 years? It was like, oh, remember that time that the uh, the quarterback led uh, four touchdown drives in the fourth quarter and like was perfect, and we came back mm-hmm. and beat the number two team in our country. That's a rival. Remember that game? That would win. That's like ninth on this list. But Brad, the monkeys. So you have the monkey of not having won a national championship in three decades. You have the SEC monkey vanquished with Bama in 2014. And now you have this Clemson monkey. So Ohio State is a monkey murderer. But again, it's why it's hard. It's hard to differentiate because a lot of those things that you that are rare here are not they're just not quite as rare like they kind of you know they kind of happen and then a couple years later they they kind of happen again joseph in atlanta uh let me unmute you and then you will be up next here we go joseph i voted for the 2014 bama game and that was primarily just because i was a bit too young to get really get the 2002 but and I went to college in, you know, the mid 2000s and saw the LSU in Florida and then heard 
every year for the next decade, basically, the SEC is so fast. Ohio State, just too slow, can't compete nationally, can't compete with any real decent team. Look, they lose every big game and just SEC, SEC, SEC everywhere. And just watching Bama lose 85 yards to the heart of the South, like that changes perception of the program, changes perception of the entire Big Ten, which, you know, hate to say it, but when they said we couldn't, the Big Ten couldn't compete nationally, the record is what it is. And just that Bama win really changed that entire narrative and that entire, yes, Ohio State and Northern teams can exist in college football. Joseph, I think what you're saying, it, it, it felt personal, I think, the Alabama win and the SEC stuff. There was such an ingrained thing with the Big Ten and with Ohio State and with Alabama that that represented something. I don't know, as great as Miami was, right? I don't, did Ohio State have like a beef with Miami specifically? Like not to the extent that of like, hey, the Big Ten and Ohio State are sick of this SEC stuff. So I, th- I would think what you're saying, that would be an area where the Bama game would have a little edge over the Miami game. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the Miami game, you know, as great as it was, we hadn't played Miami in I don't even know how long. Like, you know, they're a completely different part of the country. Yes, they were at a level we wanted to get to, but they weren't really directly. Whereas Alabama and the SEC in general, every year you'd hear how the Big Ten just can't compete. Ohio State in particular can't compete because the SEC is just better. That's really interesting because I think, Nathan, the idea of it being personal is another factor of this where the Miami game then doesn't quite stack up to that Alabama game felt personal for all those reasons that Joseph just said. The Clemson game, obviously personal. My God, I mean, how more personal could you get? And then every single Michigan game is personal. So I do think I understand that as I, as much as I just said, how could you ever top the Miami game there? That game is slightly lacking in that area compared to some of these other games. Well, the men and women who've joined us here tonight would have better perspective on this, but I would argue that there probably was something a little bit personal about that Miami national championship game because again it had been 34 years there was you were this Ohio State was this program with all this history but nothing really to show for it for a long time they were really kind of trading on their history trading on their father's name a little bit more than what they were actually accomplishing anymore so winning that national championship kind of got some of that off their back but it wasn't about Miami but that but Miami could have been Florida State or Texas or USC or anybody else the, the opponent wasn't personal. The opponent wasn't personal. Right. Well, that's but what I'm the saying. Circumstance but, was personal. Okay, yeah. and that's a different. I think you make a good point. Those are different things. But in these other circumstances, the Alabama opponent was personal because they were the personification of SEC dominance that people were sick of hearing about. And and Saban, by the way, is personal for Urban. Clemson, this was personal. Michigan is always personal, not just the circumstance, but the opponent. So I do think you're right. But if you if you as we said with the Clemson game, if you put if you put Notre Dame in there instead of Clemson and have the same thing play out for Ohio State, it's not close to the same thing. If you put um, a, a non SEC team, if you know, in that playoff and Ohio State beats Florida State instead of Alabama, it's not it's not the same. So I do think there is something that like you kind of. I mean, people hated Dabo and Clemson by the time this game was played. And I, and I don't know that, that anybody would feel quite the same way about Miami in the same context. Clint, go ahead and unmute. You're up next. All right. Thanks for having me, Doug. Um, 
I, I picked the 2017 Penn State game, and that's very personal to me because I was lucky enough to win tickets to that game through work, and that was my first time being in the shoe. And so every fiber in my body said leave halfway through the third quarter. Like, this is awful. This is embarrassing. But I thought, you know what? I'm here. I got tickets. This is awesome. And I mean, the greatest sports event I've ever attended happened before my very eyes. Um, and one other quick parallel I wanted to make is people have brought up the 2014 Wisconsin domination. And I think with what we saw against Clemson on Friday is kind of that same jolt, that same hope of like, holy crap, we can do this. You know, we, we came in limping just like in 2014. No one gave us a chance. We put on this performance and all of a sudden everybody believes. Steven, the idea, I think, Clint, I mean, when you have a personal connection, you can't ever deny that personal connection. But part of what Clint's talking about is he almost left and Ohio State fans thought that game was over. How does that factor in, Steven? The idea of not just before the game was your team being doubted, but then you came out and you were down by three or four scores and you as a fan thought it was over and then it was pulled back out of the fire. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good check mark in the Penn State games column. It is, but I think you also have to be there for that to be a check mark because if you're just watching at home, it's just, well, all right, I'm going to go make some food or do something else. And then you just happen to pick, take a peek at the TV and go, oh, wait, JT Barrett's doing something. I think that moment is – that's a special moment, but it's also, I think – enhance when you're actually there and not just watching it on TV because teams come back all the time when you're just watching on TV. Yeah, that's a good point. I do think like if you, if you lined up being at a game, I think that's a good point that being at a game is different there. And then maybe like, I don't know, I'm sure there are people on this zoom who were at the Wisconsin 59, nothing game, but as much as like you were doubt, Ohio state was doubted going into the Wisconsin game. Once it was like, Oh yeah, no, they can't cover anybody on Ohio state. Then that's not quite the same thing as like a fourth quarter comeback when you thought Ohio state was dead. I don't know if anybody was bored by the end of 59, nothing, probably not bored is probably not the right word when you're trying to see if your team can make the first college football playoff. But I do think being there matters. Also, there's a lot of people in the chat bringing up Mark May, which I think is what made 2000. It wasn't necessarily they beat Miami. It's they shut up Mark May for the one millionth time. I will say when I did the thing with texters last week about um, ranking Dabo in the coaches that you find the most annoying, Mark (laughs) May got a fair share of votes for not being a coach. It's like, I know he's not a coach, but can I just vote for him anyway? Because as a human announcer, I find him so annoying. So he got honorable mention as someone who has never coached it down in his life. Um, Anthony, you're up next. Go ahead. Hey, um, so I just wanted to give a quick like ranking of the games, in my opinion. I mean, sure. also keep in sure. mind, I'm 25 years old. So uh, 2002, I'll get into that a little bit. Um, I would say Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And uh, Michigan in 2016 is like a 1A, 1B kind of, me, kind of thing for me. And Doug, like you said earlier, I think that's because of how close the game was, how on the edge of the seat um, the game was for me. And then three, I would put uh, what we saw on Friday night, um, not necessarily because of how close it was, because, I mean, everybody who watched the games know that it wasn't, um, but because it was Clemson, because of what happened last year, 
the way that that game ended. And then uh, four, which I would argue that this is maybe in the next tier, four would be that 2017 Penn State game. Um, because like you mentioned, that uh, fourth quarter comeback by JT Barrett, that was ridiculous. Um, now going back to 2002, like I said, I'm 25 years old. So I was seven years old when that game happened. I will say my very first football memory that I can clearly remember is double overtime of that game. Um, I think it was Ken Dorsey, the quarterback from Miami, has the ball, and Mike Doss bats the ball down in the back of the end zone. That is my first ever um, memory of football, and it's one that I'll carry with me throughout my whole life. Now, in regards to that game, I can obviously go back and uh, rewatch it on YouTube, and actually within the past six months, I just did that for the first time. It was great. Phenomenal game. But because of my age, it's really hard for me to be emotionally attached to that game. I mean, I, I didn't live it like a lot of these other guys did. Um, so I, I consider that game to be very different for me. No, and I think that's why that gap, right, of having to wait for three decades, not that there weren't great Ohio State wins in that time, but you lose a generation because the point Anthony's making is if you experience it, it's different than if you hear about it. I mean, nobody is on here advocating for the super softs blowing out Michigan in 1968. Right. Because not that wasn't a great game, but it's just, you know, this is, we're talking about games that, that people now have lived and experienced. So it's nice when every generation can sort of get their game and there will be people for sure. Now who, who that 2002 game is going to start being a little bit in the rear view mirror. And they're going to say, they're going to be more people like Anthony say, well, that's too old for me, but I, now I'm choosing between 14 Bama or 20 Clemson because that's what I lived. Um, Nathan, before we move off this topic, what is the vibe in the chat? Is there is there a game that people keep mentioning over and over? Is there a consensus there, or are there people bringing up multiple games? No, no, no. 2002, I think, is definitely the winner here for the most part, uh, from what I'm saying. I mean, a lot of really vivid memories of that game people are bringing up. And again, just kind of the way that it started, like as we talked, like the way that it, it, it was the thing that kind of defined the start of this era and everything has kind of like spilled forth from that. All right, we'll take a quick break. We're going to come back and start thinking about how are people thinking about this Alabama game? Not how it's going to be won, but how they feel about how it might go and what it will mean in the context of this crazy, awesome Clemson win just happening. We will be right back on Buckeye Talk. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We just in the break, we're talking about the fact that we have reached maximum capacity in the Zoom. And our friend CJ was explaining that I have the bronze package of the Zoom. I don't have the, the platinum package. And if Ohio State it wins a national championship, we probably will have to get the platinum package for the post-game national championship celebration Zoom because we're maxing out the number of people that can be in here now. CJ was explaining to me, We've only been doing Zoom for nine months as like the fundamental part of our job. And CJ was kind enough to explain to me how it actually works. So thank you, CJ. You have won the right to ask about football since you explained to me how to do my job. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, we're going back to the uh, greatest football teams of all time, Ohio State. And the O2 team was definitely one of the ones that I think was the greatest because there were so many different dynamics involved. You had all those players for uh, Miami that went pro, like we heard earlier. It was also the first team that ever went 14-0, too. It was the Holy Buckeye year. It was the Maurice Claret strip from Sean Taylor. 
it was uh you know the the pass interference call that was called it was the uh close game against Illinois and it really put us on the map that was the that was the game that really allowed us to have the meetings that we're having here today and to talk about the 06 team and the 2014 season that was the that was the game that gave us this opportunity to be where we are today and it was such a drought and such a different time that it's like I, there's just, there's Ohio State's so good now, it's like, I don't know how you replicate that. But, Stephen, I will say this. This is something that I am aware of, and I'm half joking, but I'm half not joking. Because we have talked about this kind of thing over the years on Buckeye Talk. Ohio State enjoys being an underdog, and Ohio State currently remains perfectly situated in the college football landscape in that it is the absolute bully of its conference. And then when it goes on the national stage, it is able to be an underdog. There really isn't, I guess Oklahoma is the same, but Oklahoma hasn't won a national title. I mean, like Oklahoma keeps getting, losing to LSU, you know, 78 to six or whatever. So the Stephen Ohio state is right in, it's an almost impossible sweet spot to hit, to be good enough where nobody in your conference can give you any kind of legitimate challenge. But as soon as you get put up against Clemson and Alabama, you're kind of the underdog and they are, Ohio State has maximized both sides of that equation. But if Ohio State keeps recruiting like this, if Ohio State wins this game, Ohio State is eventually going to undergo the transformation that we spent all week talking about with Dabo Sweeney, which is once upon a time, Clemson was the nice little underdog knocking off Alabama. And now because they win so much, everybody's sick of Clemson. And I get it. Everybody already knows. Every Ohio State fan would tell you everybody in the nation is already against Ohio State, but yet they're not expecting them to win necessarily. Clemson is nobody's underdog anymore. They cannot claim that throne. So I will be very curious if Ohio State wins this. It's like, man, are we sure? Like, if Ohio State wins this year, it's like, are we sure Ohio State's not the best program in the country? They've got to back it up again a little bit, but they would be on the path, potentially, Stephen, a lot of it based on recruiting, that they're not going to be able to win the games as the un- – all the almost all these games that we're talking about. Part of the what makes it great is winning as an underdog. Man, Ohio State may soon be at the point where they're nobody's underdog. Yeah, uh, that's hard to answer because I feel like we were saying the same things eight years ago. Back when they won in 2014, and then they were clearly the best team in college football in 2015, and then they didn't get it done. And they were recruiting at the same level, top five recruiting classes every year. Urban Meyer is Urban Meyer. And then all of a sudden, you started losing big games in the Big Ten you shouldn't have lost. And you were able to kind of climb yourself right back into that underdog role that they're in right now. And so – yeah, if they win it this year, they're in that same spot just eight years later of, okay, you just beat the top two programs in the country. You won a national championship, and you're going to lose maybe a lot more pieces this time than you did before, but the recruiting is still there. You're going to have either a top 100 quarterback or a guy like Jack Miller who was a top 100 quarterback before injury set in or a five-star quarterback starting next year and a lot of high-talented players, and we'll see how the next four or five years go after that if – it's kind of just a repeating cycle of we get to this point of is Ohio State the best program in the country? And then they show all these reasons why they're not. I will say the 2015 team that you're talking about did not wear the mantle of being the favorite all that well. 
that they felt that, I think. They felt that as a burden. They felt that every time they won a game and we said, well, how come you only won by 17? Like, they absolutely felt that. And in addition to, you know, Tim Beck and whatever else went wrong that year, um, that, I think, was part of it, that they could not no, they could no longer sort of claim that, that they weren't just supposed to roll through the Big Ten, but they were viewed as like, well, you guys should win it again. You're probably the best team again. So it is a very interesting thing. Now, it won't be the same this year, as you said, because so much of that team came back. It was like, well, just run it back and do it again. You know, nobody's going to be like, after Justin Fields leaves, no one's going to be like, well, how come you guys didn't win the national title? It's like, well, did, did you see that guy? He left, and all these guys are really good, these quarterbacks, but they're young. So I do think that that you make a good point, Stephen, but I'm, I'm just curious. It is a different world a little bit to live in, and Ohio State has just been so good in the role it's been in. Because I – go ahead. To a lesser extent, you can say 2006 too. I mean, they were the favorites going into that national championship game until they got humbled. So it yeah, just seems like – handle it. They didn't handle it well. So every time – Ohio State's almost better just being in this spot of being an underdog than they are, you know, being what Bama is and everybody hating them because, you know, they lo- they win every single season. They're, they're almost better when the story is, look what happened to us the year before, and now look where we are. Why the Buckeyes must tank the Bama game yes. to save the program. It isn't, no, no. It's important to lose to Purdue or Iowa once every couple of years just to, you know, so you can ramp so it back up again. Just holster that. Yeah. And whenever the next upset comes, two, three, nine, 14 years from now, holster that and say, ah, this is the secret. They needed that one. That was the plan all along. All right. We're talking about kind of fans, kinds of fans. How would you describe yourself in a typical season as an Ohio State fan? This is the second question I asked texters. These were the options. One was beat Michigan be good otherwise and just enjoy it. So of course you have to beat Michigan, but like, otherwise you win your rivalry game and just see what happens. You know, what are you going to do? Another option is beat Michigan and win the big 10. That's the goal. And then see what happens because you can't control the playoff race. So this is talking about seasons like 2017 and 2018. Listen, man, you won the big 10. All right. Well, if nobody else loses, Doug said Notre Dame was going to lose. They never lost. So Ohio state didn't get in an 18. What are you going to do? So like that kind of thing, that's your goal. Another one is make the playoff as a reasonable goal, then compete well in the playoff. Don't get blown out 31, nothing by Clemson, but compete in the playoff. But man, I mean, what more can you ask for than that? You're in the mix in the final four. And then the last one is you're the type of fan. The national title is a reasonable goal. And short of that is at least a little disappointing that, you know, you're not going crazy, but that honestly is what you're seeking every year. Nathan, how do you think, who do you think won the vote? Is it a national title team, a playoff team, a win the Big Ten team, or a just beat Michigan team? How do most fans view themselves? I think in the modern era, I would probably say it's playoff team. I think they expect to be in that playoff conversation every year. I don't know that just winning the Big Ten ensures you're in the playoff conversation every year. I know that, but I think Ohio State fans are realistic enough to know that nobody wins a national championship every year, or maybe even makes the playoffs every single year, although these three teams do tend to make it almost every year, but I would say that like playoff playoff is a, is a reasonable expectations, even in just a 14 playoff. Steven, what do you think one? Yeah, I think playoff one, just because I think beating Michigan's becoming a given at this point. I saw a report today that maybe Harbaugh wants an NFL job and that's why he hasn't signed the Michigan contract yet that he is pursuing NFL jobs. So 
that might make things a little more interesting if that actually you keep opening up he gets more options by the day yeah that san diego uh, not san diego anymore but the chargers opening i mean he was uh, he was down at san diego state knows that part of the country maybe that's maybe that's the answer for justin herbert uh I you think guys a great right. combination would be harbaugh and the new york media as the jets coach oh nobody wants that everybody wants that <laughs> no can you imagine if it if somehow like I mean, we're not we're not talking about this. It's just what, not what we're going to talk about. But if we're not talking about it, can I just make it clear? We are not talking about this. I'm just going to say it for five seconds, and then we're not going to talk about it. I want to talk about it. No, 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 no. Who said that? It's a voice from the CJ. sky. I'm going to talk about why they go after Ohio State coaches. Why is Ryan Day getting talked about playing coaching nope. in the NFL? Let's elaborate on it. Yeah, we're no, 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 no. I'm muting you. We're not doing it. Five seconds on this. Five seconds. Urban goes to Jacksonville. Jacksonville takes Justin instead of Trevor Lawrence. Jim Harbaugh goes to the Jets, and the Jets take Trevor Lawrence. And it becomes Urban and Justin Fields against Harbaugh and Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is not showing up for camp. (laughs) Trevor Lawrence goes back to Clemson. Yeah. He's going to pull Eli Manning so fast. (laughs) But Urban and Trevor Lawrence against Harbaugh and Justin Fields would also be fascinating. Justin Fields is (laughs) not showing up for camp. (laughs) That's true. That would be. Congratulations, Ohio State. You have your starting quarterback in 2021. Mix it up a little more. I like that. Uh, Okay. So the playoffs, one, playoffs type of fan, 52%. National title type of fan, 34%. Big 10 title type of fan, 13%. Just happy with the Michigan win, 1%. So, you know, that's where Ohio State is right now. They're, they're that good. But I, I thought that's a reasonable breakdown. And I get it. I get it if you're like a national title. I don't, I don't think you should be a national title or bust type of fan. That's a hard way to live. You miss out a lot of, a lot of enjoyment if you're national title or bust. But national title you know, whatever's like slightly less than busting, like, like it, like cracked and it put scotch tape on it that I get. So I, that, but the playoff kind of thing, that's like 86% that are at least thinking about the playoff every year. Okay. So let's get into, they've beaten Clemson. How does that affect how you view the Alabama game? Here's the question. In some ways, does beating Clemson in the playoff feel like achieving the goal of this season, no matter what happens against Alabama? And my answers were basically absolutely yes, it feels like the goal is achieved. Kind of yes, the goal is achieved. Kind of no, the goal is not achieved. And absolutely no, this is a championship-worthy team. And a semifinal win was just a step, not a goal. So the winner, it's always the kind ofs because nobody votes on the extremes. Kind of yes, that it feels like achieving the goal. Kind of yes, got 60%. Kind of, yes, beating Clemson was the greatest thing ever, but come on, a title is a title. So, like, you really are enjoying the Clemson window, but you realize it's not the end goal. Kind of, no, only got 21%. So I'm always interested, how do the extremes lean and how do the middles lean? So it's three to one that kind of, yes, leads kind of, no. Absolutely, yes, that was good enough. Got 15% and absolutely, no, it's all about the title. Only got 4%. So that combined, it was 75 to 25 that at least lean towards the idea, Nathan, that beating Clemson feels like kind of the goal. We're going to get into more questions about, was that make you think about Bama? But what do you think that idea that, that it was avenging the loss from last year, you throw in the Dabo 11 vote and this felt like the goal. 
Well, and I think it, it, it also because it was Clemson, right? I think if they had beaten oh, somebody else, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, they wouldn't feel quite that way to those to that group, larger percentage of people. I do think, though, it's probably also with our texters, especially it's a it's a smart enough subset of the fan base that I think they understand that you get to a national championship game sometimes and losing a national championship game isn't always a failure. You get you're playing the other greatest team in the country. In this case, it happens to be Alabama, who might just be so talented this year that maybe they can't be beaten. Who knows? I think that probably factors in that decision, too. It's just a realism of you achieve a lot just by getting to this point. And winning is another achievement, but just kind of another plane above that. Steven, what do you think of that? Are you surprised at all with the way that came out? Or is that what you expected? No, that's about what I expected. I think the Clemson thing, that was going to be a thing no matter what. But it would have been even sweeter had it come on. January 11th and not January 1st, just because then it's, we won the national championship and we went through Dabo Sweeney and Clemson in order to do it. But now it's, you check that off and now you got to quickly move on to, Oh, we have an opportunity to win a national championship. So we need to kind of reshift our focus again. All right, let's go to Chuckster. Go ahead and unmute Chuckster. You're up next. Hey guys, how y'all doing? All right. Hey Chuck. Hey, for me down here in, in San Antonio, Texas. Um, being a Cowboy fan, you know, we think we're going to Super Bowl every year until December. So playing into that, realistically for me as a Buckeye fan, it's national championship or bust every year, just because I feel like with the facilities, the recruiting, and uh, being one of the most profitable athletic departments there are, there's really no reason that, uh, that the very least we shouldn't be competing you know, being in the final four every year uh, is kind of my take on it. Although I, I was so close to clicking, it just felt great to beat Dabo and, uh, and whatever happens on the 11th happens. Uh, just, I enjoyed that guy kind of getting put in his place and, and I kind of enjoyed the official uh, Twitter account just posting 11. Uh, that, I mean, really the gift the gift that Dabo Sweeney gave Ohio State with all of this is is remarkable. And, I, I you know, I, you, you, we've seen it all. I just even saw something again today. It was like Wyatt Davis was yeah, on his Instagram after the game going like 11, 11, 11, like into his phone. And it's like, man, this is it, it is kind of cool when when you are gifted with um, that kind of thing that makes it feel so important. It makes it feel so good, even without being a title. Steven, the thing that I think is interesting about this is, and I, I was sort of joking before, but I also sort of mean it, at Alabama, clearly Alabama is nothing but title or bust. I mean, my gosh, how could you be anything else but that? Could you see, Steven, could you see a world where that's what Ohio State becomes? Maybe it takes Saban re- retiring and Ryan Day sticking around and doing this run, but like, is that out there? Is that, and and then part of it, and I don't really I mean, I would dissect the heck out of it, but like, is that as fun? Is is right now, what's more fun? Is it more fun being an Ohio State fan or much more fun being a Bama fan? Now, when you win, all right, Saban has however many titles, all those are fun. But then do you feel so much worse when you don't win because the expectation is so high? And the expectation here is very high, but it's not quite that high. I, I, I don't know, Steven. I, I'm very intrigued by sort of the standing of the two programs. Do we think Clemson's fans have a title or bus mentality right now? You know, I don't, I would doubt it 
because they weren't quite recruiting on Alabama's level and the fact that they did beat, they got Bama twice to win two titles. I don't know that they reached the point where it's like, well, if we don't win, it's a, it's a, it's not successful. I would doubt maybe they'd be quite at title or bust. I don't know. I think they might be. I mean, they've been in all but one playoff and no, they're not getting, they're not competing for the number one recruiting class in the country every year. But I mean, at the most valuable spot, they went and got, you know, the best thing since Andrew Luck. And then after that, they went and got DJ, who might be the best thing since Trevor Lawrence. And I'm going to assume that their 2022 quarterback, whoever that ends up being, might be on a similar level, even if it's not Quinn Ewers. I just think that if we think the Big Ten is headed in a direction it is going to head into where it's going to be this major gap between what Ohio State is and what the rest of the Big Ten is, as we discussed on the on a previous podcast, I do think Ohio State then does enter a world where it is national championship or bust because everything else becomes a given. It's Clemson's won six straight ACC championship games. I don't think anybody in that fan base is worried about whether or not they're going to win their conference or if they're going to beat South Carolina. They're worried about are they going to beat Ohio State and Alabama and Oklahoma, whoever else makes the playoff and win a national championship. But Ohio State's already there in the Big Ten. It's not like anybody in the Big Ten's challenging Ohio State. They're already at the dominate. They're already at the dominate the conference part of it. I just don't. Ohio State is not yet at the. Well, we better beat Bama. Like we better win the playoff every year because we're. I mean, because Bama still exists. You know, like if Bama didn't exist, I think it might be different. I don't know, Nathan. Where are you on this? Well, hey, Tim in the chat says you know, title or bust is a really miserable way to live, and I, I agree with that. And I, I, you're right as far as the Big Ten. I think. Almost, it, it, it has crept into the way Ohio State fans, I think, look at the Big Ten almost, right? Because I think a Big Ten championship has its greatest value to a lot of Ohio State fans right now because it means you have a re- if you win the Big Ten championship, you have a really good chance to be going on the playoff, or you you might not be able to get to the playoff without winning the Big Ten championship. Although they did pull that off one time, so I, th- that kind of thing has already started to happen. But if you start to make it all about just a national championship every year. Number one, it devalues the ones you eventually do win in some ways. It's like, or if you were to start like winning them every year, it would make them, if somebody won a national championship every year, they would eventually not care about winning the national championship. So it's got to be something that you are deprived of occasionally so that it means more to you when you do get there. But they, don't you think don't that's, with that. but don't you think that's where Bama is, Nathan? That Don't you think that's where Bama is right now, right? Yeah, but they don't win it every year. They didn't even make but it. But they to the almost first. win it every year. I mean, yeah, what do you, I, so? What do you want to? I mean, what is every year? I don't, literally every year. Yeah, I that's mean, what like I'm saying. Okay, well, that's, nobody wins it literally every year. I don't agree with this idea that just because you're winning national championship, you devalue it. I think you're still just as excited no, no, no. when you win it. I just, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I, no, no, no. I, I don't think I very eloquently said what I was trying to say there. I'm just saying that I think that if it, I don't, I think it's it's if if you're. Yes, they're at a place where they want to – it's national championship or bust every year. But I think just not – like last year, it's not like you – Alabama turns over the program because they didn't even make the playoff one year when they start off with national That's championship. That's firing people. Yeah, okay. I, I, we're I off mean, track. We're off track. Some, this is well, I'll just say this and we can move on. Somebody in the, stat, in the chat just brought up the fact that they, the big, winning a big tech championship still means something. Ohio State's done that for four straight years. I think that's the world that they can live in on a national level where it's not going to le- lessen the meaning of winning one when you do win it, but you can still have that expectation that that should be what you're doing on a yearly basis. Nick Saban doesn't look all that happy when he wins a national championship. And it makes time, though. So 
we talked a lot, I mean, at least I did, uh, in the preseason about like angry Bama because it's like, okay, well, like they didn't even make the playoff last year. They're going to be super ticked off. Like, I think this was almost a little more, I could see that maybe this was fun for Bama because they were trying to overcome something as opposed to just like, well, we won and now we're supposed to win again and we won and we're supposed to win again. I just don't know if you're an Alabama fan right now and you, when you win a title, you expect it. And when you don't win a title, you're super ticked off about it. That's not where Ohio state fans are. Ohio state fans do not think we won a title. Oh, well we expected to, and we didn't win a title. Oh, I'm ready to give up on the program. You know what I mean? Like, I just think it's, it could be hard to get to that point. That's true for everybody. Maybe Patriots fans were there too, but I just think Ohio state might be at a really fun place right now in that you dominate your conference, you have a shot every year, but you don't take that shot for granted and you don't take the title for granted. And again, it's possible that Ohio State right now is like in the perfect spot. And by winning more, they're just going to expect to win more. And not that it's, of course, it's what you want, but it, I don't know if it might be 5% less fun. Maybe I'm worried about fun too much. I like Disney World. Are you viewing this title game differently than other Ohio State title games because of the emotion, relief, and excitement of the Clemson win? It's like I asked a bunch of the same kind of questions. The options were, yes, I'm not as focused on the title. I am viewing this differently. I just as This is so exciting. If we don't win, it's not that big. I'm okay with it. Or, no, I'm still focused on a title. And no one 63-37. So that – People still, I mean, it's not, they're just not totally giving up on the idea of like, you know, Clemson was good enough. So here's the next one about this. And then we'll get into the final thing, which is, could this be the greatest season ever? If Ohio State doesn't beat Alabama, I will feel blank. And the choices were fine. It's still an amazing year. Like just, I'm fine. They lost. I'm fine. A little disappointed, but still very happy. That's the one in the middle. And then disappointed. This was Ohio State's year, and they would have just missed. And, of course, the middle won with 79%, and then it was almost even between the two extremes. 11% said they would be disappointed if they don't beat Alabama because this is Ohio State's year, and 10% said they would be just fine. Nathan, the idea that the middle won, but is, is there one that you would think? I mean, the two extremes wound up tied. Is there an extreme that you thought would have won out here? that people would be more, I'm totally fine, or more, no, I'm really disappointed? No, I mean, I, mean, I think it, it's – no, I think I think the middle sounds about right here. I mean, again, I think it's it's just having perspective on accomplishment. It's having perspective on um, just because whatever happens on Monday, I don't think diminishes what happened last Friday. Stephen, would you agree with that? What happens on Monday will not – whatever happens, even if so, obviously, if they win it, it enhances it. But say Ohio State just does not play that close at all. Would it diminish at all the Clemson win? No, because you have when you added all the other elements of COVID and stuff. But I do think there is a is room for it. this team came into the season being one of the two favorites to win a national championship, and that does maybe creep in a little bit. I do think the pandemic stuff comes in because you can spin the pandemic either way. It's like an excuse if you want it because it's a real excuse. You had three games canceled. You had. You played games without Ryan Day and without Chris Olave and without three-fifths of your starting offensive line. It took you forever to find your groove, and the pandemic is all part of that. But yet then it's also like great motivation. It's a great the story that Ryan Day keeps talking about. I do think the pandemic is an opening toward whatever happens, you can make yourself feel better about it. Because, oh my gosh, if they win in the midst of this, it's better than ever. But if they don't win, it's like, man – 
the fact that they even got this far when you thought there wasn't going to be a Big Ten season, I do think as difficult as the pandemic was, it allows you space in your head to sort of sort that out. Uh, Brad, you've had your hand up again for a while. I'll unmute you and you can fire away. I just want to bring up a quick point where there was a time where when Bill Belichick was a coach of the Browns, Nick Saban was his defensive coordinator. So I just remember uh, my grandfather telling me that. And I just think that's crazy, but I see that everybody's kind of already counting out Ohio state. Like they were for the sugar bowl. I mean, does Ohio state use that as motivation or. Oh my God. They yes. use it as motivation. That they, Yes. I mean, so, so Nathan, you wrote a story about Saban voting Ohio State fifth, which again is like six spots higher than Dabo, and right. that's just a little difference of whatever. I mean, that's in the right in the realm of normal. But you wrote it because there was a little discussion on Monday about, like, again, sort of this motivational factor, right? Yeah, and and again, I I wrote it from the perspective I, I used it to kind of play into that that they're gonna they already have this chip on their shoulder to use Trey Sermon's words and that. Voting them fifth, while I think that is too low, is something you could almost defend. You could defend voting Clemson and Notre Dame ahead of them. You could even squint your eyes and defend voting Texas A&M ahead of them because Ohio State only played six games. Texas A&M had beaten Florida, which Alabama had just played before he cast that vote in a close game in the SEC championship. So I can understand, I guess, Texas A&M being fourth. But I do think you still get this vibe from this team of um of that kind of underdog mentality of that um we still have something to prove mentality even after a 49 to 28 victory over the uh the two seed and the team that they were favored to lose to by a touchdown even after that uh, as impressive as that win was i think they still go into this week um probably still motivated to that they have something left to show i don't know if, if you felt that that might have played into you know back in 2014 if it helped to even though climbing the mountain to beat alabama accomplished a lot that you still had a, a Heisman trophy winner out in front of you. Something like that maybe helped keep their focus on that championship game. I still, in my head, I can't believe that Ohio state was the underdog to Oregon in that game. Cause I think part of what helped Ohio state is their players were twice as good as Oregon's players. Yeah. Everybody who plays for Oregon is five, nine. I have no idea how Oregon was favored in that game. I mean, it felt like, well, they beat Alabama. Were they going to lose to Oregon? So, but yes, I think being the underdog in that game did did still help them. I mean, it's one of these things. I mean, honestly, Nathan, I mean, it's like Nathan, all the probably is. I mean, it's like this is all they do. This is yeah. all they do. Everything uh, you do is seize on every little slight and every little underdog morsel to motivate themselves. And it constantly, constantly works. So, of course, it's going to keep happening. I don't think they'll use the five. I don't think Wyatt Davis will be talking into his phone afterwards saying, five, Nick? Five? What do you think of that? You know, because it's, it's I would, I would be surprised if they're doing it. Listen, I said it in the last podcast, and I'll say it again. Nobody, the only people who take things more personal than Michael Jordan are Ohio sports fans. And I it's would not, not listen. Be, I don't. I, I, it's not. And, and players. And, play, and, all right, and players. Stop, and coaches. Stop talking about the Cavs. Stop I will guarantee you, I guarantee Ohio you State. that Ohio State players are going to use that as motivation because number five is not number one. They could have been number two behind Alabama in his poll, and they will use no, that and say, No, it's that's that's silly. They're not going to be mad at number two. You're com highly competitive. People are going to aren't okay. going to be mad this that they're not, not number a, one. This is not an interesting discussion. We're going to stop and we're going to take a last break and we're going to talk about could this be the greatest. Ohio State season ever.
ever. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Last question for the Texters. If Ohio State beats Alabama and wins the national title, will this be the greatest Buckeye season ever? These were the choices. No, some other year was better. Sort of a random year, but I also gave three other no's to say no, 1968 was better. No, 2002 was better. No, 2014 was better. So sort of like the last three major titles. Then I said, maybe, but not getting to beat Michigan as part of it makes it hard to view this as the best Ohio State season ever, which is just such a weird wrinkle that it's like, oh, if you win the national title, but you don't even get to play Michigan. We've talked about in the past, like, what if you win the national title in a year when you lost to Michigan? What would that be like? It's just weird. You win a national title where you didn't even get to play Michigan. I think that's factored in there somewhere. Or the answer, yes, in a pandemic, after almost not playing, then beating Clemson and Bama for a title, for sure, this would be the greatest Buckeye season ever. Nathan, are you surprised at all that that answer won? 47% said, yes, this would be the greatest season ever. 35% went with the Michigan caveat. Maybe, but no Michigan game. 10% said 14 was better. 8% said 02 was better, and the other ones didn't get votes. Basically half the people, Nathan, saying, yes, this could be, this would be the greatest Ohio State season ever. What do you think of that? I'm a, I'm a little surprised that it, it's that high. Um, again, just under the circumstances, not only do you not play Michigan, you didn't play a full season. And I know people could say that's part of why it's, it's a great season because of all the adversity, but you also didn't have to win as many games. You didn't have to play a big non-conference game like you had one scheduled. Um you know, I, you didn't have to play like a major uh, opponent coming out of the Big Ten West for the Big Ten Championship game, all respect to, to Northwestern, but they just weren't that caliber of team. I mean, there, there's a lot of ways that I think that it doesn't really stack up to even 2014 in some ways, although that's that's not an undefeated season, I know. But like I just it's 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 a little bit high to me. And I think it may there may be some recency bias at play there, too. Right. People that are still a little bit high off of a pretty great win from the from the weekend. Steven, what do you think? Does this make sense? Half the people think in this way or or how much would you have the lack of a Michigan game or the lack of the Oregon game thrown into this? I think they won a national championship while taking down the top two programs in college football. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that people would view it that way. The, I mean, we, said, we said it before the season that it, this could arguably be one of the best seasons ever if it goes to Clemson and Alabama to win a national championship. And that's exactly what would happen if they won a national championship. And how do you fold the pandemic stuff into it? Do you think so? I mean, I do think so. It's okay. The pandemic took a lot away, but the fact that you weren't going to have a big 10 season and then you did, it also added, I mean, Ryan day keeps talking about that standpoint of it. Do you think that actually does the pandemic angle take away? You lost the Michigan game. You lost some other games or does it, add because of the drama and the fight and everything else it adds because this you gotta remember this team hasn't been full since indiana and they've had to win games with a lot of different parts missing whether it's chris olave the offensive line some linebackers and despite all of that they honestly might win a national championship with on on monday and not have their full team there depending on what's going on with guys like zach harrison and harry miller so um, this is a team that fought through a pandemic, lost guys in the most important part of the season, and yet still beat the top two programs in the country to win a national championship. 
Nathan, do you think it could add the idea that, yes, it took away, but could it add? You could definitely make the argument just because, again, this team didn't get to – we it probably would have peaked a little bit sooner. We probably wouldn't have still had the questions that we had about this team going into the Clemson game had they been able to play an uninterrupted normal season or even a season like Clemson and Alabama got to play. If they'd gotten to play 10 games instead of six, I think it might've changed the complexion of, of what we thought about this team going into the playoff. All right. Scarlet Dan, you're unmuted. Go ahead with your question or your comment here on Buckeye talk. Seeing if Trey Sermon can repeat what Zeke did. What do you think of that, Stephen? Like we, we talked a little bit about that, but what do you think specifically of a Trey Sermon Zeke comparison on a three game postseason run here? And we saw what, how Zeke finished it off. Do you, do you, are you expecting to Trey Sermon to be able to kind of do the same thing to Alabama that he did to Northwestern and Clemson? Yeah, at this point. Yeah, I am. It's funny. We had a long podcast about will Ohio State have 2000 yard receivers and that's obviously not going to happen, but Trey Sermon in seven, eight games might end up with a thousand rushing yards. He's at like 829 right now. So, I mean, yeah, at this point, the way this offensive line is blocking and the, the violent way he's running, I think, yeah, he might as well finish it off and do what Zeke did in 2014. Yeah. I think that's very possible, which I don't think I would have been saying four weeks ago at that. Are you thinking that at the moment, Nathan, that, that, that you could see a version of, of Trey Sermon, that continues to look the way he did the last two games? I mean, there are definitely parallels just based on the timing and, and based on the, the fact that it's been this sort of surge at the end in a way that we hadn't really obviously seen from him before that. You would have a better perspective than me, though, having covered that 2014 team, if how much of, how much of what Elliot did felt like Elliot first – Whereas I still felt like a lot of, especially even in the Northwestern game, a lot of what was happening there was, you know, they had the numbers of like how many, he had 200 and some yards in that game before contact or whatever. Like he was, he was hitting huge holes and taking full advantage of them. And I'm giving him credit for that in a way that he, he and other running backs weren't doing earlier this year. But I did, does the way he's running still not feel the way that, Elliot was running in the way that he kind of carried that team. Plus you also, you would, I guess could, did, did they have a, someone doing Justin Fields thing at the same time that he was doing what Elliot was doing in 2014? No, I mean, I think by the end with Zeke, there was no doubt that, that he was special, you know, that that was a, that was a guy who was going to go on and do things. And that was a guy who was undoubtedly as good as any running back in the country. Trey is hard to get a handle on. Like is, is Trey as good as Najee Harris? I don't, I don't think so, but like, what if he goes and runs for 200 yards and Harris runs for 96, you know, like, which, which might happen that like, I felt, uh, I think you're right. But that offensive line was really good. I mean, Taylor Decker and Billy Price and Pat Elfline and Jacoby Bourne. I mean, that's a really good offensive line. Um, but I do feel like I would say that felt a little more Zeke. This feels a little more O line, but you got to have both. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's one of those things again, I mean, I think p- people would tell you what, what Ezekiel Elliott did in the postseason is as good of a three-game stretch and, like, as any player has ever had in any postseason run in college football history. So, like, is Trey Sermon as good as the best ever? It's like, no, I, I don't think he is. But that bar is so high. Man, he runs hard, though. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just still can't. I mean, he runs so hard that you feel, like, silly doubting the guy at this point. It's like. It doesn't make any sense. 
You know, like what? Well, why? Why won't he run for 187 yards? Have you seen what he do, what he looks like when he gets to the second level? I mean, I don't want to tackle him. Why is he not going to run for 187 yards? So it's not Zeke. It's harder to figure out than Zeke. By the end, with Zeke, it was like, oh yeah, that guy. He's just nobody stops him. Uh, Brad, we'll give you one more. Go ahead and unmute. I had a quick question regarding players that were going to be available. I know in the chat we've talked about, like, if Jalen Waddell was going to be back for Alabama. I know he's been seen at practice. He's coming off a fractured ankle. I can't assume he'll be back maybe within – I think he broke it back in October. I can't assume he'll be back that quickly. I don't know if you guys have heard anything else about that. No, other than what's been reported today, that he's supposed to practice tomorrow. And I mean, the, the, okay. it's the, the guy in our company, Matt Zenitz, is the guy who reported that. He knows what he's talking about. He's very connected in the SEC. Um, I, I would assume – I mean, obviously, there's some people within Alabama who are getting that out, right? And so that's a nice little wrinkle to throw out into the world. I'm not doubting it, but I don't know that this snuck out the side door of the Alabama building. Alabama might be – happy to plant this seed in everybody's head. So there might be a little gamesmanship going on here. Nathan, just from the standpoint of like that kind of injury coming back this soon for a guy who clearly has a great pro career ahead of him. I certainly am a little skeptical, right? But I don't, I mean, we don't know, but I'm not just taking it as like, Oh, Jalen Waddle's going to play. Cause there's a lot between like, Hey, he might be practicing for the first time since he got hurt. And is he ready to play in the national championship game a few days later? I mean, Ryan day has talked about that. Even these guys coming back from the COVID tests and maybe this is gamesmanship on his part too, but, but talked about how um, they need that week to really even just build back up and, and be ready to play again. And that's not coming off of an injury of any kind. That's just kind of coming off of inactivity and if, if 10 days and not being able to do anything. Josh Myers talked about, you know, you're not supposed to elevate your heart rate at all before you go do the cardiac testing. So to think that a guy can come back off of a fractured ankle and do one week of practice and then go play the national championship game i am skeptical of that i i it could be some gamesmanship i suppose though i like if you're nick saban does it if if he can practice is it worth having him active for a for one route at the end of a game like a kurt gibson moment like i don't know it doesn't really apply to to football in the same way but uh i i guess there's no harm in it i mean it's not like you have to designate him act it's not like they have a guy on the right. injured reserve that they brought up to take a spot they just tell him to wear pads on Monday and then he can play. And like you said, I mean, you could throw him in. What, what do you do to the Ohio state defense? If you throw him in on second and two in the middle of the second quarter in a 13, 10 game, and he enters the game and everybody's like, Oh, Jalen Waddles on the field. And then you throw a bomb to Devonte Smith. I mean, like you don't even have to throw him the ball, you know, like there, I mean, it's Saban, man, come on. It's Saban. So I, I would maybe lean towards the idea of this is maybe a little more of that than it is like, Jalen Waddles going to play as any kind of normal receiver. But if he's going to do anything, he has to practice at some point. So why wouldn't you see if he can get out and do a little something to practice? But I do think it's possible that we're making a little bit, a little too much of it uh, so far. MAJ, we'll go ahead to you and we'll let you, uh, we'll let you finish us off here. Hey guys. Uh, one thing I was thinking about comparing last year's Clemson game to this year's and if you notice last year's how Ohio State came out just, uh, you know, swinging from the hip as soon as the game started, like they were trying to knock out Clemson in the first quarter, definitely the first half. But then this year you see a, a much more patient and, and kind of uh, 
you know, just a, a patient team going going into the second quarter where they dominated. Do you think that's a reflection of the maturation of Ryan Day as a big game, big game coach? Or do you think that's the players maturing and and just just being more composed going into the game? Steven, what do you think? I, I don't think that was the case last year. I thought last year they tried to establish Dobbins this year. Like this year, they tried to establish Sermon. It's just J.K. Dobbins is better than Trey Sermon. So when J.K. Dobbins sees a hole, he runs for 60-plus yards, and Trey Sermon didn't do that earlier on in the game. Um, so I, I do think what we saw as far as the maturation was between Ryan Day and Justin Fields is that everything didn't need to be a home run. You needed to work multiple weapons, work multiple different parts of the field, and you didn't need to feel like – okay, Trey Sermon just ran it three times and got 15 yards. Just play action, time to go deep to Olave or Garrett Wilson. No, get some intermediate stuff. Hey, Justin, use your check down to Trey Sermon. You saw a complete game from both of those two in a way that, especially how the Northwestern game played out, I think this, this, this was just the best game that those two have had together, just given the play calling and you know, Justin's poise in the pocket. I mean, he was going through reads. All the problems people had with him as far as, you know, being locked in on one target and not really going through his progressions, that seemed to just go away all of a sudden. And I think it was more that than, you know, a game plan of not using the run and just trying, you know, how they kind of were patient in one quarter and not patient. In, no, I just think it was a, they let things work itself out and didn't try to force things when they didn't need to. Nathan, what did you think? Did you think there was a, a difference in how Ryan Day – coached the two Clemson games? I think there was certainly a composure in this game that, that this team had. But again, as we talked about in the postgame pod, you're, you're talking about a game where it seemed like every bounce and every little wrinkle went against them, which which challenges you in a different way than there was some adversity, I suppose, in this when they're down, you know, Clemson marches down scores immediately. They're up 14 to seven. Ohio State did have to come back technically and win this game, but it just seemed like a game where the, the snowball started rolling downhill pretty early for Ohio State. So that obviously makes you look a little bit um, that, that help that helps your composure. So I do. I think two things probably happened. I do think we had a, like a discussion during the week about when Ryan Day always wants to be aggressive. What does aggressive mean? Does aggressive mean throwing? And I think. Sometimes I've thought that with Ryan Day, that aggressive does mean throwing. And, and I think that that's not what it meant against Clemson, that, that you can be aggressive, um, but also that can mean letting your running back beat up some linebackers. And so I do think, I mean, everybody's better in year two of your job than you are in year one across the board. So even though he won every regular season game, I think Ryan Day is better in year two than he was in year one. So I think that did seep into it a little bit. And I do think as much as you watch film and as much as you break down every tendency that you see when you're coaching against somebody, I do think it's a little different when you actually play them. And so the whole thing with Ryan Day and Don Brown is that Ryan Day and Don Brown went against each other at Boston College because they were coordinators on opposite sides. And so Ryan Day didn't just know Don Brown on film. Ryan Day knew Don Brown on the field, what he likes to do with his guys, how he's going to do something. And I do think it's not coincidental to me that – Ryan Day had a feel for Brent Venables the second time around that if I thought, okay, well, Venables is going to have something for Ryan Day and Justin Fields. Instead, they had something for him. And I do think that, you know, Ryan Day had a chance to absorb it, to live it, to learn from it. And that's what it looked like in round two. I think Ryan Day is, is quite a bit of like a round two guy. I think that whether it applies to like the second half of a game whether it's the second time he plays you, 
I think he is pretty darn good at gathering information and applying it. And so I think we saw that. So I think it's his maturation and I think it's his application. And I think both those things were, were born out against Clemson. All right. We're going to do a crossover Bama pod this week. We're going to have interviews on Wednesday and Thursday, and we'll talk about those interviews uh, after those days and then do pods on those. We'll have another zoom Friday night where we do our picks and really preview the game. We'll get Tyler Shoemaker, the unofficial official bookmaker of Buckeye talk to join us for that one. And we'll keep writing stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. And of course we'll keep texting. So we're going to text out some more stuff for surveys. We'll keep texting the information as we gather it. Um, as we keep learning more about this matchup and this team, we'll keep hitting that. So if you want to be part of it, if you want to be able to join our next zoom, join the text at 614-350-3315. It's free for 14 days. And then you can bail if you want to. Nathan, is there anything in the chat that we didn't get to that we need to bring up? It seems like people are having a good time interacting with each other in there. Is there anything we're missing? I, this is like the most active chat we've had, and it has been just a lot of conversations with with people. So I know there's people here who probably are among the big surge that we've had recently of people joining up. And we really appreciate uh, everybody who has been here from the beginning, but everybody who's who's jumped in lately. And I'm glad you all seem to have a really good time. Just great discussions about the games. Uh, great discussion, kind of sharing inside jokes and stuff. Um, it, was a real, it was a real Buckeye Talk chat session. All right. So that'll do it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. I'm going to put this post up on uh, Tuesday morning with my ranking of the top 10 Ohio State games of the 2000s. So you guys can read that and see if you agree or disagree. A lot of good input that will affect my thinking about it. So for now, for Nathan, for Steven, for all our Zoomers, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>